Grace and peace are yours in abundance in your knowledge of God and your Savior, Jesus Christ. God's Word comes to us today from the Old Testament reading in the 62nd chapter of Isaiah, where we hear the following at verse 4. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is the word of the Lord. I was listening to a sermon once in which the pastor said, there's no such thing as an ugly bride. That was my reaction, too. It was such a blunt, audacious comment, I had to laugh. But then I reflected on it, and it squares with my experience. Pastors have a very unique position from which to observe a wedding. And I can tell you that there is nothing like that moment when the bride first makes her appearance and then makes eye contact with the groom. I have yet to see a bride in that moment that is not absolutely stunning. Now, why is that? Well, of course, we could talk about the physical preparation she undergoes, makeup, hair, tanning bed, dress, and that's part of it, to be sure. But I think that along with those external things, there is an internal reality. It's what that moment means. It means someone has chosen me. Someone is pledging his love to me. Someone wants to share life with me. There's nothing he wouldn't do to prove his love to me. When the reality of that hits home, it creates something beautiful to behold. Almost everyone I've ever met has wanted to know a love like that. And what I'm here to tell you this morning is that the God who made the universe loves you that way. He even uses the language of a wedding to say it. It's right there in the prophetic words of Isaiah, which served as our Old Testament lesson. Now, to get the full impact, we have to set the stage a bit. The story of the Old Testament is a love story. It's a story of God's love for the people of Israel. 
He had chosen them. He had pledged his love to them. There's nothing that he wouldn't do to prove his commitment to them. And what was the response? Well, over time, it was heartbreaking. God's feelings were not reciprocated. Unfaithfulness to God became normal. And finally, God had enough. In the late 8th century B.C., the time of Isaiah, the northern half of Israel, well, it's like God took an eraser to it. The southern half survived, just barely, reduced to a single city, essentially. National defeat and humiliation belonged to Israel in Isaiah's time. And that's where those names come in. In Isaiah's day, Israel was called the deserted one and the desolate wasteland. And this was not picture language or poetic license. This was the real thing. They cheated on God one too many times, and it cost them everything. And this made up the bulk of the message that Isaiah was called to proclaim. This turn of events was God's judgment on you for your sin. Isaiah was sent to spell it out for the people. The names were reminders. Deserted and desolate. That's how things are since you turned your back on God. What does sin and the rejection of God deserve? I don't know that we weigh this question very seriously, much as Israel did not. What I mean is we get casual about sin. We excuse it in ourselves even as we condemn it in others. We do what we want. What seems right to us. And if God told us somewhere not to do what it is that we want, we justify ourselves or just ignore him. Yeah, we've heard the stories. That way leads to a desolate wasteland. But, you know, that was then. And then when my life crashes and burns, I have the audacity to blame God for what's happening. However... There is a different way to be. Rather than downplay or deny sin, you own it. You recognize the description of sin 
as true to life, but rather than leaning into it to indulge it even more, you lament the grip that it has on you. You long for something better. Or think of it in this way, you come back to the one you deserted. It's humbling. But there's no other way. And when you return, this is what he says, you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. A new name. Israel received two new names chosen by God. In the original text, those new names were quite a mouthful. They were Hephzibah, and Beulah. Hephzibah and Beulah. What's behind those names? A wedding day. Listen again to Isaiah's words for God's people. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, meaning My delight is in her. And your land will be called Beulah, meaning married. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. God knows exactly who you are, what you're capable of, and what you've done. Yet, if you will just come to him humbly, honestly admitting your mistakes, he will forgive you, he will commit to you, and will delight in you with all of the energy of a young groom. We spend so much time in our lives working to try to prove that we deserve to be treasured in this way. And if we can't prove it to the world that we deserve love, then we'll settle for respect or admiration or attraction. And some people will even just settle for fear. Sometimes we will work and work just to prove to the person in the mirror that I am somewhat worthy of some good coming my way. What God is saying through Isaiah is that you can lay all of that doing down right now because the love that you have waited your entire life to feel is here in the almighty, creative, universe-making God, pledging his faithfulness to you. But how? How can God want me? How can he overlook who he knows me to be? Well, that's just it. 
he doesn't overlook sin. He doesn't overlook your sin, your past. He forgives it. To overlook something is to pretend not to see it. But to forgive, that means it's paid for. It's costly. It hurts the forgiver. But that is what's being offered to you in Jesus. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul says something extraordinary. In a very similar context, he writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. There is nothing that Jesus would not do for his bride, the church, and that includes die. That includes take the weight of his bride's sin and pay it off for her because she couldn't. Jesus willingly became the deserted one. The desolate wasteland of sin's full price was nailed to him on the cross. He gave himself up for you and me so that he could delight in you and me. If you ever wonder if you can be truly and fully loved, return to the cross of Jesus. Remember what that moment means. It means someone has chosen you. Someone is pledging his love to you. Someone wants to share life with you. There is nothing he wouldn't do to prove his love to you. This love has made you beautiful. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, your unstoppable love for us is overwhelming and we are surprised again and again that this love is really not about what we have done at all, but it's about your love for us, which you back up again and again, which you show and prove by giving of Jesus as the sacrifice for all that made us deserted and desolate. Your love creates in us a beauty that shines forth. Teach us how to live in and lean into your grace and mercy day by day so that we respond to your love with great joy.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.